American Social History Podcasts are a production of the American Social History Project Center for Media and Learning at the City University of New York. This presentation took place at the CUNY Graduate Center as part of our Bridging Historias Through Latino History and Culture program, a National Endowment for the Humanities Bridging Cultures at Community Colleges project. that I uh, thought that I could represent the, the, what I call the three milestones in Dominican migration to the US. The uh, very first one, it's, uh, uh, you have a monograph. I'm not gonna spend much time on this one because <laughs> you have the monograph there and you can read about it. Uh, this. This is Juan Rodriguez and uh, he, he came uh, in 1613, and he's now known as the first immigrant of the city of New York. Yes, prior to everybody else, and you can read in the New York Times, because the New York Times actually, when this work uh, began to be uh, done, this research, the New York Times, we were very lucky, put out an article and say, well, you know, we, we are recommending the uh, beginning of the city to be established. Uh, in 1613 rather than 1624 or 25. So uh, read about it and, and let us know what you think. And if you have a chance, you know, we usually sell this thing, but I felt, uh, yeah, so just get into our webpage and donate $5 or $2, whatever you want. Um, the second uh, milestone in Dominican migration is the Ellis Island. This is research that I'm currently doing. Alessandro uh, show a graph with all of these uh, nine million people came during this uh, time actually to the U.S. and people think of everybody, particularly people who came from Europe, the North of Europe. Uh, people never think about the Dominican people coming to Ellis Island, and what we have discovered is this five thousand. This, this five here, it's over 5,000 Dominicans who came to the port of Ellis Island, only that port. Remember, there are all the ports that are op open in the U.S. at that time. They're coming through Massachusetts, they're coming through Louisiana. In, 17, in 1870, when you have those 3,000 Cubans here in New York, we actually have over 2,000 Dominicans in the state of Louisiana. I don't know what happened to them, but they were there in the 1870, <laughs> in the 1870 census of, uh, for the U.S. Uh, and I want to speak a little bit about this, uh, this migration in a minute. And then this is the 1965 migration, as Lisandro spoke about before. It's the Families Reunification Act, and this is 1.5 million Americans since approximately uh, this time. This is the Ellis Island uh, project, and this is this is something that I'm uh, currently currently doing. Uh, and these are the uh, sources that I am using, and Lisandro went over them. This represents about five thousand something uh, Dominican uh, entries that we found, and the twenty three percent. These are repetitions, and these are the very valid one, and the something that I this. People that are here, they're students from City College, from Rue. These are undergraduate students. This young woman came from uh, Germany, uh, a student of sociology, to work specifically with me in this project. City College was really happy, happy about this, the, not Natalie Wagner. But the, uh, these are the entries of the uh, Ellis Island uh, Dominicans. This is 1892 when Ellis Island, uh, what 1892 when Ellis Island was open, and this is 1924 when Ellis Island uh, closed. And you have here the, uh, you know, the number of people who actually came during those years. And as Lisandro was saying, you can connect this ups and down to foreign policy uh, related to uh, to the U.S. during those times or relationship between the Dominican Republic and the U.S. Here, for instance, when you see this peak, the Dominican Republic is occupied. Not the entire country, but customs are in the hands of the U.S. 
they are handling the best the, the money the money that comes in and the money that comes out and here 1924 the Dominican Republic is occupied uh, by the uh, the US in 1916 and then leaves in 1924 and in all of these moments if you look at the US history in relationship with the Dominican Republic you're going to find fascinating uh, treaties in uh, relationship between these two countries. So the foreign policy that Lisandro was applying to Cuba before, you can actually apply it to this country as well. In fact, uh, this I think this was published in the New York Times. And this is an article that talks about, uh, it's, it's 1903, but it, it talks about, and you get this, and then of course in the, in the New York Times uh, archives, it talks about the US asking specifically uh, this, we will recognize the government of the Dominican Republic uh, if this chip that it's in, I, I, but there's a steam chip that takes control uh, of the crowd between the U.S. and the Caribbean, and what the government, the U.S. government is asking, the Dominican government is to allow this chip to transport people from the Dominican Republic to the U.S., and not only people, but also commodities all these uh, businesses. And if you do that, then I will recognize you as a government, as a legit government. So very interesting stuff. Looking through uh, Ellis Island University. And I'm gonna just give you very little because there's, there's crazy stuff about this research that I can, I, I'm, that I, I'm sorry I cannot share with you because uh, then that will be the my, the book that I'm writing will be given away. But no, honestly, uh, lots of women and lots of men. And for sociologists, this is important because, you know, once you have women, once you have men, you're, you're thinking about communities, right? And uh, the NN, the NA means that we could not read the document. We couldn't identify the, the, uh, the sex of the person. That's what it means. It, it wasn't right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the marital status. Uh, lots of people were single, and lots of people were married. Some widow, some divorced, and again here couldn't uh, read in the document. I'm going to show you the document that I'm talking about. But this, for a sociologist, it's very interesting. Lots of people, almost one in two of those who came through Ellis Island was not married. So what happened? And I have stories to tell you, but I, I'm not going to do that today because uh, I had to do the other stuff as well. Who were they? There is a uh, question in the manifesto. This is how the form is called. When you, when you came in, you completed a form, and the form is called manifesto. And that form asks, how much money uh, uh, do you have? That was through all Ellis Island people, anybody who came through Ellis Island. And interesting, well, the majority of the uh, Dominican people had over $50 in their pocket. And we calculated that, and it was over $1,000. They walked into this place with over $1,000. But it gets better than that. We found people that actually had $2,000 in their pockets. Yeah, this was an average. Okay, so you are now before a very poor population. The type of cabin, just in case you say, well, that was, you know, blue. Well, this show you that no, they were not poor. This was the expensiest uh, place for you to travel, you know, first class. So it was either first or second and nothing here. And here you couldn't understand the, the form again. Very special group of people. Uh, there are more details about this uh, group of people from uh, demographic and racial and blah, blah, blah point of view, but I'm not going to share that with you today. I'm sorry. So I'm going to just talk about, no, 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 mire, deported. <laughs> you couldn't believe, yeah, they deported people through the Ellis Island. And everybody knows health reason, and we calculated some, some of these things in here. And the, this, we just found this. This was published, the source is not there, I'm sorry. I did, uh, it's there now. The 
I put this last night there. This was just found by one of my research assistants in the Dominican Republic. This is an article uh, published in El Listín Diario, which is one of the oldest Dominican newspaper. Uh, it's been around since the 1800s, right? And this is similar to the New York Times. Here they are talking about a uh, criminal who came through Ellis Island, was caught, was caught and then sent back to, to the Dominican Republic, and now he's going to spend his 20 years, it was 20 years, uh, the the maximum uh, number the the num the maximum number of years that you can spend in the Dominican jail uh, uh, is 30 years, no more. There's not 120 and 130. It doesn't make sense for them. Uh, and since the beginning of the beginning, it continues to be like that. So this five percent here, because you have here stowaway, health, and this unknown. This is five percent. Yeah, criminals coming from the Dominican Republic who escaped, and then they were caught here and sent back. So, uh, and male and female were also deported. Let's see, Lisandro was talking about in this communities, and this is why, this is why we're doing that. Well, we have found, these are all names of people. We have 5,000, uh, over 5,000 cases. And the question that you will ask is, what, what do you do? You know, I have tables and graphs about all of them. But who did you follow? Uh, I am following those who decided to become US citizens. And the, the reason uh, to do that is because the, one of the arguments that is there in Dominican uh, leadership, Dominican migration leadership, that Dominicans are always have one foot here and one foot there. Well. Not these people. Many of them, by 1917, many of them answered on the questionnaire, I, have, I want to become citizens of the US. That, that question was instituted there, and they answered yes. And those are the people that I am following. They have names, and I have everything that you can imagine from them. The records that he showed you, that's exactly the records that we are using. Uh, what I did here, because I want to see their mobility, it's, and you don't see well here. Yeah, I have to do this better. Is that I follow this person and see you know where this person uh, began and where this person end. And you see that mobility uh, at that time. But if you look at them carefully, and I'm sorry that you cannot see this clearly, lots of them uh, went to leave near City College. Lots of them went to leave in Harlem. Lots of those Dominicans with all of that money in their pocket. Okay, just keep that in mind. Right. So let me show you what is it that I'm, I'm using. This is, this, is, this is, you read the case of this woman. She met her husband in the ship when she was coming. I'm not going to tell you who he was. And, you know, and the reason why I, I learned that is I followed her, and then I found her naturalization paper. Here they are. And all these naturalization paper. Remember, she answered, you might say, why did you follow her? Because she answered, yes, I want to become citizens of the US. So what else do I do? I go and look at those records, naturalization. I find her. Not only that, then it says in there that she's married. Then I get her marriage certificate. Yeah. So and this, and all of these have questions that they answer. And this is how you begin to uh, put together their story. And that woman has an incredible story. She divorced the guy, by the way. <laughs> so Ben found her, you know, single, and then married like a year later. And said, "How the hell did, did she leave this?" You know, and then right on the boat. But uh, you know, story of Dominican. Anyway, so no, but these are the documents that I'm using uh, to uh, to compose the stories of these people. I I I send a sheet uh, with with something that we have done. And I, I know that we are the only people who have done. We transcribed all of the questions are found in the manifesto. The manifesto, Professor, has from 1892 to 1924 changed several times. It included questions, it, add, it added questions pertaining to are you an anarchist? Your race? That question was not there all the time. It was included at some point. And so we noticed. And we went to Ellis Island and we said, is there a, you know, can, can we see uh, a track of this? And they said, no, we don't have it. We did. 
So we transcribe all of the questions from the very beginning to the last one. That's Julia, and that's the reason why you have a 1924 uh, uh, transcription of the manifesto, because I'm working with her and that kind of thing. So incredible. Look, look at all the questions you have there. Unbelievable. And this is how we create a story. And I also have done, you know, look at the gravestones where they are. And we have found Dominicans in, in landmark cemetery here, here as well as in Washington. So the story that we came with the idea to return is partial. It's yes and it's also no. Now, mm -mm, I want to turn into the very large uh, migratory movement that many people know about. This is a historical view, or oh, there are numbers here. This is uh, 1980 as compared to 2010, and these are Dominicans residing in the US. It, this is census data, and you are going to learn how to, those of you who haven't manipulated this thing, will learn how to do that this afternoon with Lisandro. That is one of the, uh, this is why uh, the Dominican Studies Institute became known. The majority of the literature, the majority of the studies overwhelmingly uh, were looking at the Dominican people through ethno, uh, ethnographic research, which is very valid. I'm not disqualifying that research at all. Very valid, uh, and not only ethnographic, but also snowball. You know me, I know you, you know the other, and people were interviewed, and this is how the stories were composed about the Dominican people. I'm the first who came out and said, ah, well, why don't we use the same kinds of instruments to measure the Dominican people? Why not? And we began to do this, and, and it has been, uh, in some cases, it challenged, let's say, the stories that had been composed about the Dominican people. Tremendous growth. Uh, this is, you know, we, the census does their thing, and we know that in many occasions, uh, the Census Bureau had been accused for leaving people out, not counting them properly, and we're following a formula that is not our formula. It was developed by a colleague. Uh, and that's the formula that we uh, follow to account for Dominicans that are not accounted in the census. So let's not bother with this thing. It's, you know, you lose a whole community, but, but it's okay. Uh, yeah, 158,000, it means an enormous, uh, it means a lot to us. This is. You know, when we speak about complexity, the majority of people, the majority of researchers continue to see Dominicans as one group, immigrants. Well, this is not the case anymore. If you look at this pie, it's almost, almost, almost one in two now of the Dominican people who have been born and raised in the US. This here, course does not include the one point and a half generation that sociologists speak about, those who came at the age of 13. It does not include people who I think like like you who came, I'm sorry, you like I'm pointing you out, but you came, you 10, uh, she's here uh, rather than here because she was not born here. I just knew her, it was so, so unbelievable that I uh, knew you like it in all the group. So, so imagine, this immigrant one, this immigrant group here could be a little bit even more complicated when you factor in those people that came here a very young age, but are not necessarily US born. These are US born. So what we are saying is that when you think about the Dominican people, please think about complexity. Do not think about a uniform, unilateral group. And I show you a little bit more details about that. The other stuff that I want uh, you to see is how fast, when you look at numbers, you know, also look at uh, the, the rate of growth. That's gonna tell you this, that's gonna tell you the secret of the future. If this is growing faster than this, they will take over. They will take over. So there are more, and when you look at, I don't have it here, but when you look at the, uh, the birth rate, which I do, 
uh, in places like New York, and I will tell you why in a minute. Uh, among all the uh, women that have children, that will be, you know, the higher number of children, that will be Jamaican, that will be uh, China, that will be Dominican, that will be Mexican, and I'm missing another group. I think it's Puerto Rican. Uh, among all of those, Dominicans have the highest one, the highest birth rate. Now, you might say, well, there was uh, uh, two years ago, it, uh, an article was published in the, Sen uh, in the New York Times where the, uh, uh, the Department of City Planning said that Mexican women were having more children than anybody else in the city. And you know, I have my numbers, and I said, so what's happening in here? Uh, yes, it is true. When you look at the group in general, Mexicans <coughs> as compared to Dominicans, but when you disaggregate them, you find the following complication among Dominicans. Dominican immigrant women, like myself, we not having that many children. Dominicans who were born here, they are having more children than anybody else. Why, we don't know. Because it does not make sense. They should be assimilated. They should be having fewer children. This is not what we have found. We don't. Okay? So when you look at those, you know, when they say Mexicans are having more children, disaggregate them and see who exactly, whether it's the Mexican immigrant mama or the U.S. Mexican mama. Yes, senorita. Have you checked to see if there's a correlation between uh, those that are having more children and education? I'm wondering if that's a variable at all. We have done, we have played with the data, and uh, we, we haven't found yet something that the numbers support. Nothing. It's from the bottom and top. Uh, what I'm saying is a woman who's a doctor, a Dominican woman who's a doctor, she was born here, she's going to talk to you about getting married and having her husband and her kids. <laughs> So, for an immigrant woman, this is, you know, it doesn't make sense because in my case, it was go first, make it, and then. My kid, I think, was born when I was 29. I don't remember. But, you know, I don't remember. But, you know, seeing professional Dominican women who have, you know, as a goal, you know, the, the marrying thing and the having children, they actually speak about a family. You know, we Dominican women uh, immigrant in the community, it, it's sort of, so the education uh, as well as compared to Dominican who have not obtained that higher level of education, there is something in common among them. It's not that. It is being born in the U.S. that we have found so far that uh, they share that, that mentality in terms of having my family. And they speak my family, which is also, you know, make us a scratch. Because before, the family was la mamá, el papá, el tío, la abuela, el vecino, el padrino, all of that, including the neighbor. But la familia, yeah, yeah, yeah. La familia, ahora, you know, when you hear about U.S. born Dominican, la familia is, they're speaking about husband, kid, perhaps, grandpa and grandma, perhaps. So just those little things for you to keep in mind of the complexity of this, this thing. The, this is the uh, largest uh, concentration of Dominican people. I heard that we have people from uh, Pennsylvania. And just very fast, what I want to do here is there is this turning around, this internal mobility in the US, and we can ask the question later, why? For instance, you know, the traditional places where Dominicans have been uh, living for historically would be New York, New Jersey, Florida, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. Those are the five places with the largest Dominican concentration. But then when you look in 2000 and 2010, Rhode Island moves down, Pennsylvania comes in, goes up, and uh, just out of the blue. So this, this, is, this is happening. And then don't look at the number like, uh, there is 3,000 uh, people in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania in 1990. Just look at the rate of growth between this and the other. So it's 3,000 as compared to 65,000 in 20. This is 2010. This is not 2014. This is higher. 
trust me, this is just the regular data. Senorita. Are we moving to cities in Pennsylvania? Yes. Oh, yeah, ready. I, I think I have the cities, but they, yeah, yeah. I, I want to see Philadelphia, por supuesto, it's there. But my cities, I'm not going to talk about them because I realized last night that we haven't updated uh, and they're not there. These were the original cities uh, where Dominicans live. These were the 10 largest cities. I needed to update this um, because we know now uh, that there are more than we began. I think it was, this, is, this was the mark uh, uh, for us. I think it was so that we have more than 10,000. Uh, you see that I think the lowest is 10,000, that we have more than 10,000 in one city in Pennsylvania. So we need to, to move this. Uh, and that's the I didn't want to. But yes, cities. Oh, yeah. Those of you who came from New Jersey, the people from New Jersey, those cities continue to be uh, uh, there. Uh, and those of you who came from Rhode Island, uh, they, they continue to be uh, there. It's only Pennsylvania that it's uh, challenging everything now. So this is the New York City population by race. And the reason why I'm doing jumping into New York City is because you saw that the largest concentration of Dominican is New York City. Uh, it's New York, New York City. And, and it's not 90%. Now, New York, it's approximately 52% uh, of the Dominican people who live in the U.S. lives in, 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 in New York, New York State, as compared to 80% back in 1980. Okay? So it, there has been this uh, internal uh, mobility once again. I wanted to show you this because one of the things, and don't say this that I get all the time from my people, is so where are we as compared to the Mexicans? <laughs> and I, I have to do it because otherwise I gotta be sacrificed later. Uh, look, nowhere. They, they're not near, you know, us. I said it in front of you. So look, you see how, how large we are as compared to the other group that are coming behind us. <laughs> so I said it. So here's the Dominican. And look at los mexicanos aquí, ¿no? Bien chiquito, chiquito, chiquito. <laughs> And yes, as you were saying, uh, look at the Puerto Rican, how chiquito they're becoming with the Dominican as compared to the Dominican. I said it again. So it is, uh, yes, and, and the question when you ask why this, uh, there, there are two reasons behind this. A natural birth, these Dominicans are having children left and right here, and also migration. They continue to come to New York. There's no question about that. Not with the same intensity, intensity as before, but they continue to come here. But birth, this is an important one because it is a different kind of Dominican that you are dealing with, right? So, entonces, uh, uh, this is, this was important because we're in New York. We're in New York City. And again, you got changes. Uh, Manhattan, particularly Washington Heights, was the, you know, what gave the imagination to everybody about the Dominican people. Not anymore. Oh, again, this is the uh, population of New York City by uh, race uh, and ethnicity. And yeah, again, uh, you said before, these are the Mexicans, you said 365,000, and I'm sure it is because this is 2010, so and it's 2014, you're right. So, uh, but still, you can play with this, it's big, it's very big. Uh, these are the boroughs, and, and there are changes, dramatic changes here. Manhattan used to be the hope of the Dominican people, uh, not anymore. That has been displaced by the Bronx. And there are all kinds of implications here. Uh, it, you know, if you allow your sociological imagination to, to move. Uh, Dominicans in Manhattan, you could say that they, you know, from a political point of view, they are very, you know, they have heavy muscles there. Uh, all of these sort of all of the political areas in a sense, right? From uh, Albany to city council, district leader are represented here. So it's a very old established political machine, I said. So the, and the Bronx is the, the, the political machine or machinery is Puerto Rico. So now with this population of Dominican coming here, what's gonna happen? And of course, Dominicans have elected 
their first representative to government already in the Congress. Oh, you know, think about Dominican, think about politics. It's not only business, uh, it's not only baseball, but it's also this uh, rooting themselves in the country that again goes against that permanent view, sort of, um, you know, uh, stereotype view that Dominicans are always going back. This shows a very different picture. To rise, you know, to run for politics and, and, and rise in it and continue produce more of those, uh, it requires a mentality that is really rooted in the place. Okay, and this, this politics here is very old. Politics here, uh, structural politics, right? It's very new. But the Dominican population, there's newt. This is important. Uh, lots of people, uh, lots of everything. Uh, here you have the, this is the US, and we're not doing that good. Uh, we're not doing that good, as you can see, as compared with the uh, large uh, groups. If you look, uh, if you compare Dominicans, uh, I think I have, yeah, this is New York City now. And what is interesting, it persists. The economic distress uh, persists uh, with the Dominican people. Uh, yes, <laughs> whether it's the US or whether it's uh, New York City, uh, Dominicans have the, uh, if you look at the percentage change among all of the groups in, in terms of their household income, the lowest one was among Dominicans. Oh, of course it changed. We did better. There's no question. But the, the change was much lower as compared to the other. And you need to ask that question. You need to ask, you know, why? Ask why, why, why? Anybody has an idea why? Anybody want to guess? Okay. Oh, you, didn't you just mention earlier that this generation, the 1.5ers, are having children at a younger age and you're trying to figure that out? Does that have something to do with it? Um, I'm looking at those numbers and I, I still see you know, poverty. And, yeah. um, well, I'm very interested in what you have to say because yeah. Reading, Pennsylvania has a large population of very Dominicans poor. and we're trying very, to find very ways poor. how to serve those. Yes, yeah, very poor. That, when they enter my classroom, yeah. they are yeah. probably the most motivated students. Yeah. One of the most motivated students, they're, they're very rooted in their families. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how the best to serve them. And yeah. that, so that interesting, that's an interesting statistic yeah. that, you, that you stated that they're having yeah. children. Yes. And that's, know, yes. What's, like, what's behind that? They want to have a family. I mean, this is the, that's, uh, right, this is the, what, what you hear. Right. It's, it's, it, I don't it, see yeah. as much in my, the, okay. the ones that I have. Okay. Okay. Maybe we're not talking about the same. Uh, this, this, these are uh, these are household. These are not individual. These are household. Is that a single family home? Oh, I'm gonna get to that. Just a second. I'm gonna get to that. I'm gonna explain this poverty. Another one, uh, particularly to an individual, but definitely this one has an explanation. Uh, and in here, uh, these are the per capita income of Dominicans in the six uh, states. And, and this is, uh, you know, the six largest states where they are. And this is the, oh, you will notice that there are some uh, places where Dominicans are doing, they're not doing that bad as compared to the other places uh, where they live. If you take Florida, for ejemplo, si, por ejemplo, uh, La Florida, it has the highest uh, group of people among Dominicans who make over 200, between two and three, or whatever, $100,000, as compared to Pennsylvania, que tiene cero. So whatever dynamic we see and in one place does not necessarily reflect that in the other place. And again, the purpose of all of this bloody thing is to show you that there is complexity in this group as well. It's not that uniform thing that people have been uh, always you know, uh, when they when they think of Dominicans, they think of a group that has no complexity at all. And here you have, and I'm going to show you a little bit more of that. So this is uh, New York, and again, we're going to always go to New York because of this heavy, uh, large concentration of the Dominican people. When you compare them 
with the with the rest of the large groups, and I have done it with Hispanics also, no? and I don't know if they have uh, those graphs in here. Uh, a very challenging uh, stuff, you know, poverty, and this is historical. I have done this for eight, for 90, for, two, for the year 2000, for the year 2010, because if you do one year, you might not uh, be capturing the reality of that group. If you do that historical perspective, then you see whether it's a trend that is persistent, and then you will have to ask the question, why? Because they have gone through assimilation. They're already being born in there. So what is going on in here? Always think that we have the Cubans with their exceptionalism, but you also have the Puerto Ricans, and you also have the Mexicans. And the question that you need to be asking, when you look at Dominicans, when you look at Chileans, when you look at Venezuelans, uh, when you look at Ecuadorianos or Colombianos who live in, in New York in large numbers, is whether they will go the Cuban route or whether they will go the Mexican route or, or slash Puerto Rican route, okay? These numbers that I'm showing to you are very similar to Puerto Ricans, very similar. You know, I always say to my Puerto Rican brothers and sisters, we fight for the battle. Where are you now? <laughs> well, I'm not sure. No, 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 no. So just think about that, right? Um, because there's an argument in the migration literature that the more assimilated the person is, the better uh, uh, you know, their outcomes will be. And assimilation is just not only cultural assimilation. Assimilation in sociology is also measure your, the kinds of jobs you have, right? It, it, it's also your social economic uh, indicators are measured when we speak or think about assimilation. Bueno, entonces, going back to your question, here we have. This is, uh, again, this is historical. I have done it 70, 80, 90. And uh, Dominican people uh, tend to have uh, the, in, in New York, the highest, the highest uh, percentage of homes that are headed by a single uh, mama, by a single, by a single woman, uh, and then followed by Puerto Rican. You know, uh, this has been used by economists as, as an explanation for poverty. Uh, it's only one income as compared to two incomes. Uh, people who are feminist, I am among those, uh, will argue that this is not necessarily that, but that women are paid lower than men. If she would be paid what she deserves, we didn't need to have a boy in the house to resolve this issue. So, but in, in the economic literature, this is definitely a cause for uh, high poverty in homes. It's only, they said it's only, no matter what you said, it's only one salary as compared to two. So it's, it's there and we need to deal with that. Senor. Yes, are, there, do you, are you aware of whether or not there's a different kinds of jobs that are sought? Um, by by Dominicans rather relative that the other Oh yes, I have. This is this, I leave. I go home and I ask the de the census all questions that you can think about. <laughs> and I, but I didn't want to bore. No, it, it definitely it's definitely related to the kinds of jobs they have. No question about this. Where they are in terms of occupational skills. No no question. Uh, but I wanted to show this because this is a heavy duty player. Very heavy duty player. And something else that I want to show you. Well, I was yes. going to ask the question you talk about single heads of household. Mm -hmm. I know in the African American community, there's historic reasons for those single. Is that is it comparable? I, I love your question because um, among all the Latin American countries, uh, outside right here, the Dominican Republic is among the five countries in America Latina with the lowest rate of marriage. Historically, from since day one, these women don't marry. And look what I'm saying, these women don't marry. The reason why I'm saying it this way is because uh, in, there is a sociology in the Dominican Republic that has argued that it's not that men don't want to marry her, that it had to do with slavery, that their family were separated. In fact, when you look at the uh, history or slavery in, in Hispaniola, this case, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, there were uh, a specific laws. It's not the U.S., please, it's not the U.S. There were specific laws in the Spanish uh, kingdom that encouraged slaves to get married in Hispaniola so that they did not run away. It's, so here's another story, and I know that, so it broke family apart. There. They wanted them to get married so that he did not leave. 
and he was sleeping and she was sleeping as well. The minute that they took that place, they were running away like, like hell and getting into the mountains and all these things. And there were three Spaniards compared to 10,000 slaves. So they, they definitely could escape. So the, it's a historical uh, issue uh, there that it's very low uh, rate of marriage, institutional marriage, I, I should say. And she, she argues that, again, that this had to do with poverty. And that way, you know, this woman has more freedom to move from this home that is not, you know, this relationship that is not the best one. So I move to this one. I pack my kids, move to the other one, end of the deal without all the, you know, requires the divorce and all of this stuff. And there's before, up to the 1980, you know, I have a, uh, one uh, study that was done in the Dominican Republic looking at women who divorced and that kind of thing. Up to the 1980, there was no stigma behind a woman who divorced or live alone. Now it's another story. See? Pero usted lo usted. A high correlation level between education level and income. Are women um, culturally encouraged to pursue in Dominican communities a higher um, degree of education? Because that could help. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get there in a minute. If you allow me, and I'm gonna show you my number, and then you, you tell me whether it answers your question. See? Does this contradict some of what you said earlier about okay. women saying my family, my family, my yeah. family? Remember, I said the second generation. Yeah, the second, okay. it's, it's this people, the second generation, the blue babies. <laughs> Don't put me there. I married, you know, she, and I was crying like, I was literally crying a lot in church. And people thought that it was, I was emotional, you know, I was going through No, I said, what am I doing? What am I doing? Uh, I'm still married to the same man. <laughs> All this crying that some people interpret as very emotional. Hey, there are other meanings. So born in the U.S. See. Ah, uh, yes, Mom, I'm sorry that I didn't make it clear. I'm speaking too fast, but yes. It, the, the, the people that are having more children now among Dominicans are second generation as compared to immigrant women. Yeah. Yes, Mom. Oh, yeah. So just to show you the complexity, again, of the Dominican people, heavy-duty uh, families, uh, families headed by single women, it depends where you go. This is Illinois, you know, I went there to do a presentation and I decided to look at the numbers. I do that, I, I tell you for a living. Uh, and in Illinois, if you're Dominican uh, and you're part of a family, it's one in two of the households of the families that will be married, married couple. And this is the, which is close to what the U.S. is in general. So it's a different story, completely different story. This is, again, not the bulk of the Dominican people, but you're gonna find this. And this is something that you might find, again, in Pennsylvania, which I have not seen. Comprend that there are families intact or traditional family that are moving as compared to the non-traditional family. Comprend? So that we need to look at all the reasons for their poverty. I did this, the per capita income, again, but I wanna show you uh, how happy he is. <laughs> this is Illinois, no, compared to the rest of the uh, places, uh, much higher uh, as, right? Okay. Uh, classes, people ask me, you know, give me, give me an idea, Ramona, of these uh, Dominican social classes. And again, very interesting, you find that the largest proportion of the Dominican people are the poor people, and that a very small proportion of the Dominican people, uh, oh, están uh, aquí. It's, this is your upper class, and it's measured norm, and you know, using the standard uh, measurement, less than fifteen thousand, a hundred thousand or more. It's the same stuff, and I don't, nothing new uh, here. Uh, is that per individual or per household? Household. Okay. See, not individual, household. This is important. Again, I want you to think about complexity, complexity of the Dominican people. This is a pyramid of age, the age structure. I want you to look at how, uh, uh, bueno, uneven this pyramid is. A lot of girls, a lot of women, fewer men, particularly in the marriage uh, ages, right from here to here. Uh, again, sociologists, we are thinking, what are the implications of this? 
Right now, Dominicans are very endogamous. They marry among themselves. And there are only two studies that have been done about uh, who Dominican marry. Uh, it, it, they were done by foreign university, the Hispanic research center they had there back in the 80s, and it hasn't been replicated. Uh, so primarily, Dominicans marry Dominicans, according to the studies, right? And when they marry out of the group, and they, you know, the exogamo thing, they will marry Puerto Ricans. That will be the second group that they marry. When they continue to marry out, blacks then become the other uh, group that they marry into. You can read that studies that was done by, by then. It hasn't been replicated. So what is the, uh, since Dominicans are marrying Dominicans, what are the implications of this uh, for the future, right? Well, let's think about that. And for those of you who are thinking about the impact of schooling and education. This is New York City, which has the largest student population in the country, the public school system, the largest one in the country. It's 37% of the uh, student body that is of Latino ancestry in New York City. It's very large. This is the Latino. But I wanted to take your attention uh, to, to notice, ladies and gentlemen, that between Puerto Rican and Dominicans, they are it. They are it. So when they think about policies regarding the Latino people, I wanted to talk to them and say, no, this is not Latino. They are Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. You got to think. Dominicans, Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican, Dominicans. If you do Latino politics, you're talking about Colombians, you're talking about Venezuela, and Chile, and Argentina, they're not here. They're not here. You're talking about Cubans, they're not here. <laughs> so, comprenden, this is very serious because these are kids. These are now the very adults that can handle anything. These are kids. You gotta show them their stuff. You, you can't show, you know, the people that he was showing before. You gotta go into their history and get the same people. I swear you're gonna find them. So, anyway, uh, this is important. The Going back to, to the question that you were asking about education, very interesting stuff is happening with the Dominican people in education. We have identified them with businesses. You know, Dominican open bodegas, and ooh, Dominicans are in baseball, ooh, Dominicans are in politics. Oh, yeah. Really. This is a historical uh, analysis here with, with data looking at immigrants, all the Dominicans, and US born. In 80, 1980, almost definitely seven in 10 Dominicans didn't have a high school diploma. Here we go. I don't know whether that's the situation with Pennsylvania, but seven in 10 did not have a high school diploma in a society that required people to have skills. They were coming, this is 80. There are no more blue collar jobs in the way we knew, the factory jobs. Look, so part of the poverty that we saw, it's is explained by this. They were coming into society, the jobs were no longer there. That all the jobs were there, but they needed to speak at least the language to be able to clean the floor. And they didn't speak the language. But they, the, the, beauty, the beauty about this is that this is the, uh, this is now, well, I don't know if I have my numbers clear here. Right, this is 2008. I'm sorry I haven't been able to update this data. But from 72, the immigrant population went to 42% with less than a high school diploma. What is that? If you don't look at what's happening in the sending country, you're not gonna understand this. You're gonna say, oh, they did very well in the US, look. No, because you need to do this with cohorts. You need to look at who, who among these people came in the 80s and the 70s or whatever it is. So don't, don't allow this to fool you. During the 90s, and I have that graph in some place else, uh, in the 80s, the majority of the Dominican people who came continued to be blue collar, people without, uh, who didn't have a high school diploma, blah, blah. But a good number of them uh, had degrees. The 80s is known in America Latina as the lost decade. Bad, all day, five minutes. Okay, so let me, 
So, so look at these numbers, how beautiful, how beautiful they are uh, as the year goes by, right? I have to bring my own clicker because I don't understand this one. The last graph, you know, they're getting better and better and better and better for all kinds of reasons. And I'm going to, I think I'm at the end. These are the native, <coughs> Dominicans were born here, and here's the question somebody asked me, whether it's related to education, the fact that they are having kids, and the fact that they wanted a family, that kind of thing. There's a comparison of Dominicans, Cubans, these are these six largest groups in the US. They're not taken just because I wanted to compare them. These are the largest Hispanic groups of the US. I compare it. What do you see? Look at the Dominicans. Only the Cubans. No, no, only the Cubans. But then again, don't be fooled. This is 90, 2000 to 2010. Dominicans have been narrowing the gap between them and Cubans, surpassed everybody. The Mexicans, the Puerto Ricans, uh, the Salvadorians, other Hispanics are the only one. No, no, no. This, these are the other Hispanics, and these are the Dominicans. 25% of them, higher degree. U.S. born. This is U.S. census data, it's not my data. So obviously the family thing, it got nothing to do with this. And of course now, all of these women in Hollywood, they have a lot of money. And all of these other women that we see in the paper, they have a lot of money and lots of education, they still they want to get married in this country. They want to get married, they want that time breathing. <laughs> so I think, it's, I think it's in this case, remember the disparities that I showed you? It's more, much more clear here between men and women, right? Dominican men and women. And this is New York City because this is the largest place. And if something happens, if this is happening in here, it is likely that it's going to impact everywhere. So what is the implication of this? <laughs> Those are Dominicans and that, that's a Dominican boy. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs>